wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Amen, everybody. This is Brother Frank back with the Remnant Call, and I'm excited. We're going to have a special uh, guest tonight with us, Pastor Carl Gallops from the Hickory Hammock Baptist Church, and we're going to bring him on. I just wanted to speak for a few minutes about next week's program. Folks, next week is going to be uh, one of the most important shows we've ever done. Uh, It's going to be called Surviving the Dark Night. Uh, It's going to be about coming out of spiritual darkness, getting out of this funk that people are suffering with right now, breaking through and seeing real spiritual revival. And my good friend, um, Pastor Marty Breeden, uh, is going to be on with me and and possibly one other person. Uh, But please, folks, please, next Thursday night, 9 p.m., don't miss this program because uh, the body of believers right now are suffering tremendously. And we need breakthrough. And, and I know because I've been in that dark place what it's like. Uh, but God is going to get us through, and we're going to talk about surviving the dark night next week. God bless everybody who uh, tuned in last week uh, for the Day of Atonement. That was a great program, some deep, deep uh, spiritual meaning in that feast. And if you want to understand uh, the end times, folks, you need to understand God's feast because they're like little teachers, uh, uh, schoolmasters that lead us to what's going to happen in the last days. And along with what we're going to talk about tonight with Pastor Carl Gallops. And so I just wanted to say, uh, please check us out there. If you want to subscribe to get uh, email updates and everything with the program, uh, hit us up on our Facebook page or um, uh, Remnant Call Facebook page, and or I think it's also on the website. You can sign up for our emails. I'm, I'll check on the website. I'm not sure, but get on that list. We'll send you. You can also go to Blog Talk there and get notifications of things coming out there for the radio program, and we'll keep in the loop, and we'll, we're going to continue to grow this program by God's grace and mercy because, folks, this is a war. It is a battle that we're in, and, and we are in a, in a spiritual war that, folks, our families are involved, uh, our work is involved, involved. Uh, Our neighbors are involved. There's nobody in this earth that is walking and talking and breathing uh, or any of those things that is not involved in what is going on right now in the world. So we need to get about the Father's business. Get serious. Get your prayer closets. If you're like, hey, Frank, I don't have a prayer closet. Well, find somewhere that you can just get alone with God and you can spend quality time with Him without distraction. Uh, maybe you have to go out and get in your car and shut the door. I don't care. Just find somewhere to get alone with him because you cannot afford to get to the end of this age and to look back and say, I wish I would have done more. We want to be like Paul. He got to the end of his life and he said, you know what? I fought the good fight. And that's what it's about, fighting the good fight. And I talked about it last week. And, and folks, I just want you to know that you, nothing is sweeter in this life than leading someone into the waters of baptism, watching them give their lives to Jesus. It's just, it doesn't get any better than that. And if, you, if you're not feeling like God's presence, well, I'd like to ask you, have you been sharing this good news with other people? We're going to bring on our guest here with us, Pastor Carl Gallops. You all are familiar with him. I, I don't need to do an introduction, but for those of you who have just been joining into the Remnant Call and don't know who Pastor Carl Gallops is, well, he is the longtime senior pastor of the Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Milton, Florida since 1987. That's 31 years he has now been pastoring 
He is a top 60 bestseller on Amazon, author, and a radio talk show host since 2002. He's been heard nationally and internationally. He's a frequent commentator for World Net Daily, a site that I dearly love, and a regular radio and TV guest pundit on all things biblical and geopolitical. He's also been a police officer. Uh, he's also opened up um, prayers with President-elect of the United States. Uh, he also served on the cold case posse uh, for Sheriff uh, Joe Arpaio, and they're looking into the birth certificate uh, for President Barack Obama. And other than that, uh, I don't know what else he's done because I think he's about hit everything. With that, are you here with us tonight, Pastor Carl? I am, Pastor Frank. Thank you for your kind and gracious introduction. When you're as old as I am, you've done and seen just about everything, brother. <laughs> well, and that, you know, it's interesting in the Bible, when you were to get older, you were to train. In the Old Testament, the elders, they were to train the younger. And so yeah. I feel like, uh, Pastor, that's been kind of with the books you've been uh, writing and the things you've been doing. You're, you're trying to pass down some of this information uh, to other people uh, oh, to equip them. Thank you, Pastor Frank. You're very gracious to say that because that's my heart, and and I pray the Lord is using that way. Um, anything that I do that makes an impact for the glory of the kingdom, I, I give Jesus all the praise because just old Carl Gallup's can't do it. I, I'm just a, an ex-cop that started as a little country preacher that uh, I'm way down the road now, and the Lord is blessed and blessed and used me, and it's it's all on him, all the good stuff. All the bad stuff's on me. <laughs> I feel the same way. Amen. Well, Pastor, we, we are having you on tonight. We want to talk about uh, your new book, Gods and Thrones, and, and want to d- dive into that because, you know, honestly, we've got a l- little less than an hour now, and I'm, I'm afraid we're not going to be able to get in an hour lower than 10,000 feet on the overview of what you've got going on here. So I want to jump into this, this thing, but I want to bring up just something real quick. Looking at the title of this book, Gods and Thrones, you know, the people see that and i'm sure you might, what might pop into the to their mind is is from the new testament for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness and high places and so pastor you might be walking down through or someone might be walking through a christian bookstore or, or looking on amazon and they might think well this is another book on spiritual warfare is that what this book is Yeah, kind of, sort of, but not really. And let me explain that. Uh, The phrase spiritual warfare is not found anywhere in this book. Um, Of course, you'll hear the term spiritual, of course, and perhaps even warfare, but but it's not meant – listen, this book is one of a kind right now. There may be books that will follow it that will be similar, but this is one of a kind. My publisher assures me other – uh, best-selling authors uh, that have read it assure me. Um, in fact, Joel Richardson, New York Times best-selling author, his his praise for it, which is right on the front cover, says groundbreaking. In other words, it's just nothing like it out there right now. So it is about spiritual warfare, but it is about spiritual warfare on steroids. Just very quickly, I take it from the opening words of Genesis all the way through to the closing words of Revelation. I connect the dots that are not just, they're just not being connected in pulpits anymore. They're not being connected. I'm, I'm putting the, the supernatural message of the Word of God back in the Word of God and in, into explanation through this book. Then I move it from that theological groundwork that I lay, by the way, using 36 scholarly commentaries as well as all manner of peer-reviewed papers and articles from modern-day language experts, uh, biblical language experts and theologians. So it's it's heavily referenced, but it's it's written in a style for the pew. It's not a doctor's degree level stuff. It's not even master's degree. It's just it's a way that people can connect the dots from Genesis to Revelation to understand what's really, 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 really happening all the way back from the Garden of Eden to the flood to after that through the founding of the nation of Israel right on up through to the last days. And then I take all of that theological uh, groundwork, Pastor uh, Frank, and I, I move it from there into today's headlines to show the reader that, look, we're here. We are living in the most prophetic day since the first coming of Jesus Christ, all of it foretold in the Bible. Spiritual warfare on steroids is busting out all around us. And if you care to look, you can see the powers behind the thrones, the gods, if you will, little g. Um, you know, the, the fallen Elohim, we'll talk about that word in a little bit if you'd like, the fallen ones, the, the messengers of Satan, and we can see it. And then I move it from there right into your personal life, 
and then I move it from there right into the coming kingdom, the coming age, and what all of that's about and where we're really going. And, and, and the message of salvation is truly much deeper, much more profound, much more amazingly unbelievable, inconceivable than we are preaching it from most of our pulpits. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, your mind cannot conceive. Your eyes have never seen. Your ears have never heard what lies ahead for those that love the Lord. So I expose all of those mysteries according to God's Word as well. So it's it's a profound book, and God is using it. I give him all the glory. I'm getting feedback from people who are telling me over and over, this book changes everything. It changes my life. It changes my outlook on, on my understanding of the Scriptures. And now when I walk out in the world, I see it. I understand for the first time in my life. I'm, 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 I'm paraphrasing this, but this is what a, a double handful of people are telling me that have already read the book. And I, I'm just praising God for it, Brother Frank. I think the Lord's going to really use this. I think it's going to go from pulpit to pews all across America, and I think God's going to use it. And I praise him. Well, amen. And I, I want to jump into this book here. Uh, but one thing I wanted to mention that I think goes along with some of the topics that you, uh, I, I think, you know, your book is trying to cover, basically bring in a whole lot of things that maybe a lot of people have tried to touch on a little bit here and a little bit yeah. there. And you've kind of brought all this into one place to kind yeah. of get, you know, a roadmap, if that's, is that, yeah. if that's a correct interpretation. Uh, Pastor Carl, I remember for myself, personally. Uh, years ago, I had uh, gotten the book of Enoch for the first time I'd ordered it. And, and I remember reading it almost with a fear. I, I was almost afraid because it wasn't in the Bible. And I didn't understand. I thought, well, you know, someone said, hey, people read Christian fiction. Uh, you know, this book was quoted from in the Bible. Uh, so I said, okay, I'll read it. And I read it kind of, uh, and I was like, wow, it's really fascinating. And I let it go. And I picked it back up again a little while, um, just a, a year or so ago or more, and, and really started to study. And, and all of a sudden, Pastor, all these um, things that sounded kind of cryptic in the New Testament light started to shine very brightly, and all of a sudden understanding uh, came into place. Uh, and I know that you have studied uh, uh, for a ton of this, but what would you say to the person who, who looks at like things like the book of Enoch, and they say, well, that's not in the Bible. I don't think I should read that. Is, is that. is that something dangerous, Pastor, because it's not in the Bible? Well, thank you. What an excellent question, Brother Frank. First of all, I reference the book of Enoch in my book, but I answer the question you just asked, so I will answer that. But um, I, I, I don't spend an inordinate amount of time, but there are passages in the scriptures that, that have allusions to or are almost direct quotes right out of the book of Enoch. So it is no, uh, it is no secret that the early church was, was very familiar with the book of Enoch and uh, influenced um, their understanding of the supernatural realm. And, but the church fathers did not include it as they were pulling together what we would now know the canon of scriptures. And, it's, and, I, and I think, based upon everything I've no, I know now after having read it and made all these comparisons and the Dead Sea Scrolls and dealing with language experts and, 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 and classical commentators even, what I would have to guess is the reason they didn't include it is because some of it is clearly fanciful and not able to be supported by rest of the scriptures and or historical archaeological discoveries. However, there's quite a bit of material in there that matches directly with the Word of God and or sheds light upon the Word of God, as you just said, and or is supported by historical documentation. There, there, so, I say to people, it's not absolutely essential that you read it to gain an understanding of the Word of God. Of course, it is not the Word of God. It is not the Holy Spirit inspired from the first letter to the last letter, Word of God. But it is, you can consider it a, a, a historical document that can shed light upon the Word, provided you keep it within the context. In other words, the, the book of Enoch doesn't... Let's just say the book of Enoch said you can commit adultery with your wife. Well, and it doesn't say that, but let's just say it does. 
Well, of course, we know that 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 is not inspired. Why? Because the Word of God is clear. So that's what I tell people who read the book. Yeah, it's okay. Read it. uh, Study it. It will give you some illumination. You will, as you just said, passages of Scripture that are clearly in the Word of God will uh, gain some illumination for you. So there are several chapters wherein I reference the Book of Enoch because the classical commentators and the modern-day language experts do as well. So I I put that in, I I have that in my book in a very contextual, very uh, uh, studious way. I, I hope that answers your question, Brother Frank. No, it's it's excellent. And, and Pastor, the more I studied, I didn't realize it was such a dogfight um, amongst the early church fathers in the whole debate. Uh, many referred to it as scripture um, yeah. and, and wanted it canonized. Tertullian yeah. was a big uh, yeah. one that was fighting for it. And of course, the Ethiopians, we all know, kept it in there. And then we found evidence that uh, they had it in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, Pastor, thank you. I want to jump in because you really, in this book, spend a lot of time um, in on the book of uh, Genesis, specifically what happened in the garden. Pastor, we've all heard the story, okay, in church. We all know the story of the snake in the tree. We've been told, you know, that gave Eve an apple to eat. It had to be an apple because that's what they said it was. And, and so she took the bite, ate Adam out of home and they, you know, had to move out. And that we all, all heard that story since little children in church. Um, what exactly, why is this a misunderstanding of everything that kind of went on? Or maybe it's a partial understanding, but what are we missing about that? Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to answer your question directly and, and, give the general oversweeping view of, uh, that will answer your question. But to do the study I do in my book of, uh, of about four chapters, and then I tie it to everything else, would take several hours. <laughs> but, but, of course, I can give a quicker answer than that. But I'm just saying, listen, last Sunday night, my, my folks, I've been teaching this stuff for, for years on Sunday nights in various teaching settings, and it's just transformed their understanding of the Scriptures. And everywhere they go now, they say, oh, my gosh, I see it. Oh, my gosh, I see it. I, I hear Jesus talk about it. I hear Paul, John uh, talk about it. I hear Jude. I hear Peter talking about it. I, I, see, um, uh, uh, I see this whole thing in the Scriptures. So... Um, just last Sunday night, I taught on the very question you just asked, again, to my church. The place was packed out. It was an hour and 45-minute teaching, and nobody left the room, and they still wanted more. So I just wanted to kind of warn your audience that the short answers I'm giving tonight have to be short because we're pressed for time on radio. Um, but get the book. You'll get all not only my answers, but all of the references and the resourcing and the deep word studies that I do. But the bottom line is, no, you're right. Listen, here's the deal. Gosh, I, my mind is just spinning. I'm so glad you asked me this. I'm, I'm trying to figure out where to start. Here's where I'm going to start. Let's start with the flood. Brother, please, I want your audience to understand We speak of the flood almost in a caricature, almost in a cartoon format, almost in a little children's storybook format of a cartoon character of Noah on a big old boat that's kind of misproportioned with a bunch of animals hanging off and elephant heads that are bigger than, you know, the boat itself almost. You know, that's in, in living color. And we talk about Noah's Ark. Please hear me, folks. God pushed the reset button on the entirety of creation and killed everything. I mean, let that sink in. Something wicked, something horrific happened, and Genesis 6 tells us, God says, it had gotten to the point, and it began in the garden. It had to have begun in the garden. The the New Testament tells us over and over. Paul says, it began in the garden. Peter says, it began in the garden. John says, it began in the garden. Jesus said, it all began in the garden. So, So it began in the garden, but by the time we get to the reset button being pushed, God says, now the thought and inclination, uh, every inclination of man's heart is exceedingly wicked. Okay, we get that. But then he says, and all flesh has become corrupted. Now, some translations, by the way, I studied 24 scholarly translations of the Bible, along with 36 scholarly commentaries and all of these other papers and dictionaries and encyclopedias renowned that I used in this book. And I'm telling you, every translation 
the 24, uh, the two dozen scholarly translations, most of them would say, uh, uh, talking about the flesh, about the human flesh, it has become corrupted, or flesh has become corrupted. Some of them would say humanity has become corrupted. That word flesh in Hebrew means everything. Man, animals, I mean, you know, humankind, animals, anything that lives and breathes, everything, the whole ecosystem had become corrupt, anything that had flesh, anything that lived. And I, I mean, so what, what happened? Well, we back up a little bit to Genesis 6, and we hear this thing about the sons of God coming unto the daughters of men. Now, now you didn't ask me that question, and we can talk about it, and I've got chapters in it on my book, but I'm just saying Please, something, ha- something happened that was corrupted there. And, and I do a deep study of this in my book and arrive at some really good exegetical uh, contextual conclusions. But, but who would be behind all of that? I mean, if it is divine beings, the B'nai Elohim, that's the Hebrew, came unto the daughters of men, everywhere the term B'nai Elohim is used in the scriptures, everywhere that precise term is used, it's always translated by translators on all the other passages as divine beings or angels. But Genesis 6 is so controversial and so unthinkable, and we've got to scrub it up, we've got to clean it up. I mean, after all, we live in the modern industrialized technological world. How can we have it that divine beings are somehow getting with human women and something corrupt is happening with the flesh and some kind of gene altering is taking place or freaky giant babies are being born? I mean, some, and people don't want to hear that. And so every translation except for two that I found just simply say, the sons of God came unto the daughters of men. Well, but everywhere else that same phrase is interpreted angels. So why do they do that? Because, because nobody wants to talk about it. And if they want you to buy their translation of the Bible, they can't say divine beings, although there are several translations that literally are brave enough to say it, and they do. They put it in there. Now, but regardless of whether it was divine beings, and did they actually have sex, or were they genetically altering, something happened that these giants, the Nephilim, were in the land. And then finally God said, okay, okay, this is it. All flesh is corrupt. Man is nothing but evil. He's thinking of nothing but evil. He's doing nothing but evil. I am killing everything except for Noah and his family and the animals I bring to the ark. Think about that, Pastor, Dan, Pastor Frank. The reason I just talked to a gentleman named Pastor Dan. I started to call you that. Pastor Frank, the reason I believe God brought them to the ark, because he knew the genetic makeup of the ones that weren't tainted, of the, ones that, of the, of the animals that were not corrupted. The Bible says he brought those to Noah. And then he told Noah to get on the ark, to take the animals he brought to them, get on the ark, and he was saving them. All right. Now, if you believe it's divine beings, or even if you don't want to, even if you say, no, it was some kind of the line of Seth or human beings, first of all, I say, how can a human line of godly men who are marrying beautiful women of an ungodly nature, how does that create giant terrorists <laughs> that Amen. fill the earth? Amen. I mean, ugly babies. I mean, you know, godless men and, and beautiful women don't necessarily create a bunch of ugly baby giants that go around killing everybody. Okay? Something nasty happened. And regardless of what you believe happened there, we've got to understand that if it was nasty, if it was corrupt, if God brought his judgment, it was headed by Satan, which means somehow it's tied back to the garden as well. Because who was in the garden? Well, we come to the garden. It literally, and I'm going to oversimplify it, I know, for the sake of this, but it literally says that a talking snake spoke to a woman, she ate a piece of fruit, and God says, okay, everybody's going to hell now. That really (laughs) kind of defies the whole understanding of creation and heaven and glory and the definition of God's character. I really make the case in this book using Hebrew language, language experts, commentaries, uh, scholars that go hundreds of years back all the way into our current day. It was not a talking snake. And besides that, Eve was not alone when it happened. A lot of times, you know, we we read in our books that Eve ate an apple, and then she took a piece of it back to Adam, who probably was off under a tree taking a nap and wasn't paying attention to Eve. No, if you go back and read the scriptures, it's very clear that Satan told Eve all of this stuff, and she did eat, and and then it says, comma, and Adam was with her, period. 
Adam was with her. So Adam and Eve, Eve kind of leading the way, but Adam was with her, entered into some kind of a deal with Satan. His promise was, um, uh, you'll be like the gods. Now, now, what does that mean? You'll know good and evil. All right, so I'm going to show you some things. I'm just going to paraphrase. Satan says, I'm going to show you some things. I'm going to give you knowledge that you would not otherwise have. And you can do a lot of good with it, but you can also do some really cool stuff with it, too. See, knowledge of good and evil. Let me just talk to you about today's technology. Is Internet, is it good or evil? Uh, it's both. Yes. <laughs> um, robotics, good or evil? Um, mm-hmm. It's both. In fact, the evil of the Internet is so desperately evil, we can't even talk about it over this program. The yes. evil of robotics has become so desperately evil, we can't even speak of it over this program. Um, good and evil, the tree of good and evil. Satan, way back in the garden, said, I can show you some really cool stuff. And, hey, there's some good things, some good stuff that can come from it. But there's some other stuff, too, that uh, will appeal to your flesh. And I can make all that happen. And, by the way, God's a liar. Um, he's not going to kill you if you do this. Uh, you're, you're not going to die. And, you know, just stick with me. I'll teach you some stuff that you've never even thought of. And that's what happens. It says, it says that no, the Hebrew word says nakash came unto the woman. Nakash translates. You can translate it as serpent. Um, but, again, let me say a couple things about that. When we go to Revelation 12, which talks about the serpent who was there, the dragon or serpent, same thing, and then it goes on to call him the dragon and the ancient serpent. It says that he was there to destroy the Christ child, the one that came out of the woman, Israel. We know all of that. But in that same passage, it says, the dragon or the ancient serpent, Satan. And so it defines for us who the serpent is. It's Satan. Over and over, he's called the serpent. That's Satan. You get to Genesis 3, go all the way back. The serpent came unto Eve. All right, now that word nachash is Hebrew. It means serpent. But it also means, and the Hebrew lexicon says it clearly, not only can it be a literal snake, but it can be used symbolically, and then it says in parentheses, especially for Satan, as one who whispers magically or deceitfully, one who looks into the future in order to manipulate. Oh, my gosh. That's the same way we use the word snake. You know, if I say, man, look at that snake in the grass. All right, first you're thinking there must be a rattlesnake over there in the deep grass. Well, it could be, but it could be that I'm pointing to a person. And then you'd say, what did he do to you, Carl? Well, he cut my throat. He lied. He trashed me. He he cost me my job. He's a snake in the grass. So, see, I use the same phrase both ways, use the same English words. It depends on the context. So what we have in the Garden of Eden that we've turned into a children's bedtime story, another caricature of a, of a snake wrapped around an apple tree. By the way, the Genesis doesn't say anything about an apple tree. That might come, that imagery, by the way, might come from the Song of Solomon. I'm going to read something to your audience that's going to blow them away here in a moment. But, but what we have here is Satan who was in the Garden. By the way, just in case people are listening, saying, well, that's your speculation. No, God himself says it clearly. Ezekiel 28, he's speaking to Satan, and he says, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you're the most beautiful thing I created. I adorned you with wisdom and splendor and glory. I adorned you with all of these jewels. You were among the fiery stones. You were an anointed cherub. Oh, my gosh. When you read the rest of Ezekiel, you'll find out the cherubs are the living creatures. When you, that's, what, that's what Ezekiel says. When you get to Revelation, we've got pictures of the living creatures. He tells us what they look like. So does Ezekiel. That's what Satan was, a guardian of the throne. But in Ezekiel 28, God says to Satan, not to a snake, he says to Satan, the cherub, the living creature, watch what he says, Pastor. He says, you were in the garden, but I cast you out as profane. Now, when you check out that Hebrew word profane, it has all kinds of nasty connotations to it. In the same way, you know, that we use the word now, profanity. Or, man, he committed a a profane act. What, What are we thinking about here? We're thinking about nasty, nasty stuff. I'm just telling you what God said. Carl didn't invent this. 
God says it in Ezekiel 28. You, Satan, you, O anointed cherub, you, the, 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 the most beautiful of anything I created, you were in the garden. But what you did was profane, and I cast you out. Now, let's go back to the garden. Now that we know it's not a talking snake. So he says to Eve, he said, I can make you like the gods, little g. Or some translations say, like God. And there's a reason, because the word is Elohim. We'll talk about that word later. It can be translated either way. But in either case, Satan is promising Eve and Adam, who is with her, that if she would, quote, just eat, okay, that she would be divine. She would be like the divine council. She would be like the heavenly host. Uh, he would too. They would know things. They would get to know things. Satan would teach them things. He would be their school teacher. He could show them things that they could use for good, but they could also use for him and for what we would now call evils. And so he led them to do something and stepped in and said, you know what? Everybody's going to die for this. And then he looked at Satan and he said, you know what? I'm going to use her womb, not her womb, but the womb of a woman to bring forth a seed. You will bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head out in the future, Satan. I mean, this, I mean, when you look at what actually happened and what was said and what didn't happen, it's not a children's cartoon. This was the... The, the seedbed, no pun intended. This was the beginning. This was, this was Satan doing something profane. God said that. This was something that got Satan kicked out of the garden, which is where God walked with and communicated with his earthly creation, where the angelic host, and he says in Job, sang for glory and joy because he was with them on the day he created man. And, 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 and so, so something horrible happened there, that magnifies itself again in Genesis 6, because now Satan has got the whole heavenly horde with him, the B'nai Elohim, the sons of God, the fallen ones, who leave their earth, their heavenly domain, Peter says, Jude says. They come into the creation, and they do something. They either It says they go unto the daughters of men and bear children by them. So it could mean that they literally engaged in sexual relationships, which the book of Enoch, speak, Enoch speaks of, which the Hebrew grammar seems to suggest uh, specifically. And or it could be that there was some kind of genetic manipulation, some kind of divine knowledge. Listen, I want to tell you two things that's going to blow your audience away. Number one, think of this. All of the genetic manipulation in CRISPR-Cas9 and genetic editing and stem cells from skin of a man, from stem cells from skin of another man, out of that trying to create embryos of humans uh, so that men, uh, one man married to another man can have a baby with their own genetics. I mean, all of that junk we're doing now that's so evil, do you think that the demonic realm is scratching their head saying, oh my gosh, we didn't know that? Of course not. They've known it from the beginning. This is where some of this stuff is coming from, Pastor Frank. This is, yeah. this is where some of the manipulation is coming from, from the demonic realm, the fallen ones. We're living in the days of Noah, Jesus said. We're living in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, right before the return of Christ. It's all happening right before our eyes. It's happening again. And so that's the first thing I'm going to say to blow your audience away. The second thing I want them to hear is this, because if we're talking about the garden and if we're talking about Genesis 6 and something happening so bad that God declared death on mankind and that then God declared the reset button on the days of Noah and killed everything, it had to be horrible. It could not have been a woman eating a piece of fruit because a talking snake somehow came into the garden. But rather, all of that is presented metaphorically. So here's what I'm going to tell your audience. Hear me out, because when I first start talking, you're going to think I'm going down some line of heresy, but I promise you, I am not and will not. But I want you to hear this, because this is nothing but Bible truth. Pastor Frank, when the angel came unto Mary, he says, you are going to have the Christ child in your womb. Mary's response was, how can that be? I've not had a relationship with a man. The angel said, and I'm going to paraphrase, don't worry about it, we got this. The Holy Spirit will do this. Don't worry about it, we got it. Now, I know you're 
breathing heavy, Pastor Frank, because you're thinking, oh, my gosh, Carl thinks an angel or the Holy Spirit had sex with Mary. No, sir. Not only does the Bible not even come close to saying that, but I don't even come close to saying that. I know what happened. The word, the living word of God was spoken into Mary's womb in the same way that God said, let there be a son, and there was a son. Let there be animals, and there were animals. Let there be fish in the sea. Just let there be. Let there be a seed in Mary's womb. Let it be. The same word from the divine realm was given to Sarah's womb, although Adam placed the seed in her womb. I mean, excuse me, Abraham placed the seed in her womb, but God opened her womb with the word. He said, no, you'll conceive, but I can't. I can't have children anymore. God says, I can handle this. I got this. Don't worry. I'm going to speak, and it's going to happen. All right, now here's the thing, Pastor Frank. We now know the scriptures. Look, the, 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 the incarnation, the, the um the uh, birth of the, 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 the conception is what I'm looking for, the conception of the Christ child in Mary's womb. Brother, that was done from a word from the throne of God. No, nobody had sex with her. Not, not a human being, not an angel, not God himself. It doesn't say that. We know that. We sing songs of celebration about this. We celebrate the whole Christ event and all kinds of beautiful songs about the Virgin Mary, and we should. But the point I'm making is Satan is always trying to counterfeit what God can do. Satan is powerful. He is supernatural, but he is not God. He cannot speak a word and a baby comes to a womb. He cannot do it. But stuff we're just discovering, Satan has known this from the beginning. He knows how to genetically alter. He knows all about CRISPR-Cas9 and genetic modification and gene splicing and stem cells. He knows all of that. He was there the day man and woman was created. And, and so the point I'm making is, brother, people get all hung up on, are you saying Satan had sex with Eve in the garden? No, even though some of the ancient Jews said it, and I've got the, the writings proven right here in my book, some of the early church fathers said it. I, but but that's what they believed. But, of course, they wouldn't know about genetic altering. They wouldn't know about gene splicing. They wouldn't know about the technological possibilities that could go with this as well. So the point I'm making is people in today's world, we need to get a grip and quit trying to sanitize the Scriptures and quit trying to take the supernatural out. And just because our minds can't conceive it, then it can't be. The angelic realm could not have done genetic editing. They could not have been uh, sexually involved with women. They could not, they could not, they could not. But wait a minute. The Bible says they did. <laughs> Genesis 3 says it. Genesis 6 says it. Second Peter says it. Jude says it. Uh, as you said, the whole book of Enoch says it, but I don't, I don't use that as my, my proof. But let me just read some things to you here, just very quickly from the Scriptures. Think of this. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 3. Now, so we're concerned about a tree in the garden somehow being involved with a woman and a piece of fruit being eaten and somehow something sensual or ugly or nasty or profane, as God said, took place. Listen to Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the garden or the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Oh, my gosh. Every mm. element of Genesis 3 is in Song of Solomon 2. A tree in the midst of a forest garden, um, eating fruit, sweet to the taste. And no one would say Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 3 is not a scripture of sensuality. Now, it's metaphorical. What is it about? Well, most scholars believe that Song of Solomon is pretty much about God's love relationship with Israel and or Christ with the church and or godly love between a man and a woman that as, as they are in Christ, etc. You hear all of those things, and, and they probably are. I don't, I'm not suggesting that that verse has anything directly to do with the Garden of Eden, except for the fact, why is it that Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 3, we understand completely to be a metaphor of sensuality, but the exact same metaphor is presented in Genesis 3, and we say, no, that was a talking snake, uh, and Eve was eating an apple. You, 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 are you hearing me, Pastor Frank? Yes. Okay. Now, 
as we move through the scriptures, we get to Second Peter chapter four, verse one. Uh, excuse me, Second Peter chapter one, verse four. Please forgive my dyslexia there. <laughs> chapter one, verse four of Second Peter, and it speaks of the uh, in the in the last days that we will have our divine nature restored to us at the end of all things. Now, that's interesting. We will partake of the divine nature. Um, see, Adam and Eve were divine. They, they would never have died. God told them, said, you, you know, if you eat of this fruit, if you mess with this, you will die. But if you don't, everything's cool. Satan comes along and says, nah, go ahead and do it. You're not going to die. I, I got this. I'll handle this. I'll go up to the throne of God. I'll take care of it. So they fell for it. Whatever it was, they did. They participated in Satan's foolishness and his lie, his profanity. God says profane. They participated in his profanity. God says, okay, push the death button. Boom. Peter, Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 4. He said, but in the end, our divine nature will be restored. We will live forever. If you're mm. under the blood of Jesus, we will Amen. be like Adam and Eve. We will walk with God. But listen to what the next, verse, what the next part of that verse says. It says, and this will happen because you have escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Epithumia is the Greek word, through lust. Most of the translations, scholarly translations, use the word lust. A bunch of them use the word evil desire because we've got to get rid of that sensuality of Genesis 6, Genesis 3, Ezekiel 28. We can't do that in the modern-day church in America. Oh, we can sit on in front of the computer and look at pornography all day, but we can't believe that, that any kind of uh, debauchery, sexual debauchery, has anything to do with, with our fallen nature. So, we, you know, even though Adam and Eve, as soon as they sinned, what did they cover? Their mouth? Their ears? No. Their eyes? No, they covered their genitals. And they ran and they hid from God. So, so you got, you got Peter saying, let me tell you what, the corruption that's in this world, it came through epithumia. And in case listeners are listening right now and they're saying, yeah, but epithumia can, uh, can be used um, in different ways. It can mean evil desires. And Yeah, but every passage in the New Testament where it speaks of lust, 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 Romans 1, they gave over themselves to evil lust, exchanging lust men for men, women for women. It's epithumia. Epithumia. Everywhere through the New Testament, it's epithumia. The only place where it's changed from time to time, Second <laughs> Peter chapter 1, verse 4, by the translators. Some of them say evil desires. Uh, it, uh, uh, all the corruption is in the world through evil desires because they mm. cannot bring themselves to say what probably really is going on. Then when you get to Jude and Second Peter, and both Jude and Peter talk about angels that are in prison that left their natural estate, Mm-hmm. In both of those, if people will go back and read those passages, there are strong connotations of sexual sin of some kind, because both of them are compared to the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why they're being held. So something yeah. profane, by the way, something nasty. I think it says in like manner or something like that. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Go back and read them. I mean, I know, I'm just saying to your audience. One other passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm going to paraphrase it, and your folks can look it up, and they'll see it, and it'll slap them in the face for the first time. Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, which was filled with all manner of false prophecy and wickedness and infighting. And what? A man uh, is, it has his father's wife, and he says, this is profane kick him out if he won't get it right. He says some of you are even even reveling in it. I mean, brother, the, the Corinthian church was filled with licentiousness. That's the church, mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he says flee from sexual immorality. By the way, people who say, well, you know, all sin, sin is sin. No, it's not. No, it's not. The Word of God says flee from sexual in, immorality because all other sin is outside your body. But when you sexually sin... You're sinning in your body, against your body, and know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you're sinning against God himself. Well, Pastor Carl, you know, looking at what you're talking about right there, just to add something quickly in about that, um, sexual sin is uh, 
Well, it starts back, I mean, Leviticus goes into it back in the Old Testament beginning of how absolutely corrupting, and this theme goes all the way through the Bible of the problems yes. of lust. Yep. Uh, even Job said he made a covenant with his eyes not to look upon a, a, a young yep. maiden, you know, and and, yep. and the interesting thing was, uh, you know, referencing over about Enoch and um, the book of Enoch, uh, which we know Jude and Peter both quote from, and Paul also uh, speaks things that can only be explained from reading yeah. the book of Enoch. That's right. Um, but the interesting thing was the angels, this, it blows my mind, is the angels were accused of defiling themselves with yeah. women. Yeah. And then the 144,000 in the end of time, it says they're not defiled. It's right. like the reverse of what happened in the beginning. Yes. And it yes. just reminds us how this whole defiling and of sin, lust of, of uh, like you're talking about, it is actually what is destroying our planet right now. Yes, exactly. Is sexual now, desires. Exactly, brother. Thank you. I make that point throughout this book, especially after I deal with the garden and then go to Genesis 6 and then move it forward into the New Testament with these passages I'm quoting. You're right. Now think of this. I was just getting ready to get to this. Second Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to paraphrase it. Paul says to the Corinthian church that's filled with sexual sin, he says, you know what? I wanted to present you to Christ as a pure virgin bride. Now look at the metaphor he's using. He says, but I fear that I can't. And then he says, you know why? I fear that you have bought the same lie that Eve bought from Satan in the garden. Paul says that, brother. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm telling you, from Jude to Second Peter, uh, the angels, from Second Peter 1, 4, corruption that's in this world through epithumia, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, I wanted to present you as a pure virgin bride, but you've made the same mistake Eve made with Satan. I mean, from Ezekiel 28, God saying you were in the garden, but I cast you out because you were profane. Um, I, mean, I mean, just, it's just, it, it, brother, there's no way. And now you hear Jesus in Luke 17 say the last days are going to be just like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Matter of fact, he said they're going to be just like the days of Noah. All flesh is going to be corrupted. Jesus didn't use that term, but that's what he means. That's what the days of Noah, that's the last thing God says before he brings the flood. He says everything's corrupted. All flesh is corrupted. Yeah, so, and with now with the absolute uh, pastor, it's it's gone from which we know this was a sin in ancient times, especially too. But it's not just now only with the pornography and in the everyday sexual sins and uh, homosexuality, but it, it, now there's this sudden just desire for bestiality and everything. Uh, it's just absolutely uh, disgusting. Uh, Some of the news articles you can't the headline will make you want to throw up. Yeah, most of the headlines you can't even read from your pulpit in churches. I mean, I, brother, you're right. Listen, they're creating robots that you can rape. They're creating robots in the form of little children so that you can have sex with. I mean, brother, we are living in the most profane times this world has ever seen, except for perhaps right before the flood. Mm. But Jesus said it was going to be this way. Yes. I mean, homosexual, the world's largest Christian nation, the United States, June 2015, said... By Supreme Court ruling, we don't know what a marriage is anymore. Shortly after that, we had a president who pronounced an edict upon millions of schoolchildren that little girls and little boys had to shower together. I mean, mm. then we started into the whole transgender thing. And then that went wild. And then that's going crazy. And now it's going all over the world. And now we've got the artificial intelligence and the robots and the sex robots and the rape robots and the child sex robots. And But where's it going to end? The people that are creating this technology are freaking out. I have them quoted in my book. Big names in the tech industry are saying, we have opened Pandora's box and we don't know how to close it. And my mm. answer is, you can't close it. Jesus said this was going to happen. This is where we are. The gods are behind the thrones, brother. That's the title of my book, Gods and Thrones. The gods are manipulating the thrones. Now, does Ephesians chapter 6 mean more to you guys mm. that are listening than ever before? Our mm. battle is not against flesh and blood. It never has been. It's against principalities, authorities, wickedness in high places. You better put on the full armor of God, because when the day of evil comes, and it's on the way, you better be able to stand. Now, 
Now we know that spiritual warfare is not about eating one bowl of ice cream instead of two. You know, people say, oh, man, pray for me, preacher. I had spiritual warfare last night, you know, because, man, Satan tempted me with two bowls of ice cream. No, sir, that's not spiritual warfare. No. That's your own stupid flesh. Spiritual warfare are the gods behind the thrones getting ready to bring down this entire world system and hand it to Satan for the days of the Antichrist. That's what's going on, Pastor Frank. Wow, Pastor Carl, that is uh, uh, there, folks. If this isn't something to just absolutely drive you to your knees, uh, if you think for a moment, uh, and hear me on this closely, folks, if you think for a moment that you can, in your mind, intelligently think your way through these last days, if you think that you can prepare enough uh, supplies, and I'm not against preparing uh, in the physical, but if you think for somehow that you can set up a, an underground bunker that you're going to be able to navigate through, you've got another thing coming. Folks, we cannot trust anything except in God to navigate these end times in the world we live in, because uh, pastors, you've been revealing, uh, the Bible was very specific, and I think God mentioned this for a specific reason, that he is not the author of confusion. And that's all right. I see everywhere right. we look is yep. absolute confusion to where little children now, little tiny kindergartners and stuff like that, they are now advocating them to begin that role of sex, uh, transgenderism, sexual changes in from ch little children like that. It's so sad. Yeah. And, and, Pastor, I want to just – we've got nine minutes and a half left here. Um, I, I know a lot of your book is about forgotten prophecy, and unfortunately, yeah. down nine minutes, we, we don't have a lot to go over, but uh, time left. But you, you specifically mention about in a, the return of the Elohim. Yeah. It's in the title of this book. Could you yeah. somehow maybe just encapsulate that because we're going to be wrapping up in about nine minutes. I can. And let me say, as conclusion, everything else I was just talking about, please, if your listeners are, are you know, they're listening to all this, some of them are familiar with this thing on the Internet called the Serpent Seed Theology, um, and some of that gets really weird. And I know some people say, oh, Gallops is into all this Serpent Seed stuff. No, I'm not. I, I, I'm a preacher. I'm an ex-cop. I do a deep, deep study. I have a master's degree in Hebrew and, 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 and Greek understanding. Um, I do a very scholarly study of this. I don't, I'm not dogmatic about things. The scriptures are not dogmatic, so don't worry about that. Just get the book, read it. I, it's all in context. Yes, the return of the Elohim. Elohim is a Hebrew word. We could do an hour show on this, but I'll make it quick. It simply means God or gods. It's like the word deer. If I say, look at that deer or look at those deer. The only way you know what I'm talking about, one deer or herd of deer, is the verb that I used or the, or the qualifying words, that deer or those deer. But the word is deer. Elohim's the same. It's the most prolific word for God found in the Bible. Genesis 1, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. All right. So was it one God that created or a bunch of a pantheon of gods? How do we know? Well, we know because as we keep reading, it was he said, he said, he said, let there be light. He said, he said, all the way through to the New Testament, Jesus created everything. God was in him creating. So it wasn't a bunch of gods. It was God. But we also find that the word Elohim is translated God's little g demonic, the fallen realm, or the divine host, the, the heavenly beings that, that did not rebel. So when I say the return of the Elohim, I'm speaking of the demonic outpouring of the last days, like the days of Noah. I'm not saying that angels are going to come have sex with women. I'm just saying you better examine all of that, put the supernatural back in it, and understand that those, those demonic outpouring, that's, that's here. It's on its way proliferated by instantaneous communication, information networks, Internet, etc., the new technology of the day, genetic splicing, everything. It's here. The Elohim have returned. They are returning. The Scripture says in Revelation they would even go out to the kings of the earth. They would deceive them. Uh, Satan himself will eventually athrone, enthrone himself in a man in the days of the Antichrist. I mean, we are in for some spiritually dark days, maybe in our generation, and that's what the return of the Elohim means in a three-minute uh, capsule of it. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Well, well, folks, there, it, Pastor Carl is right. We have systematically taken the supernatural. Uh, we look at it as all in the past, yet we forget about what's coming in the future. Uh, no extra biblical uh, record needed right in the Bible. 
Uh, we forget about the talking statues, fire coming down from heaven. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, all the supernatural things happen. And folks, the reason it's important to understand this, not that you focus on the supernatural, but that you understand it is when someday they come up there and they say, you know what, uh, we've been visited. Not only have we yeah. been visited, but there's some other people here. These UFOs, they're intelligent. They've got wisdom that we don't know. They're here to, you know, who know? I don't know what exactly they're going to do, but we need to know that's not from God. That's and close. we need to know what the Scripture says and not get caught off guard and say, well, I didn't see that coming. Yep. Just like God did not get caught off guard when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. He didn't say, whoops, I didn't see that coming. He knew what was going to yeah. happen. Because yep. he had yep. to give man and woman a right to choose. Because Absolutely. a God of love, only true love, can be, has to be given freely. It can never be forced. And that's why he did that. That's Pastor, I, if you want to give a synopsis, um, we've, we've kind of touched on a few things. But if, if a person was to read this book right now, and at the end of it, what would, you, what would be your desire that they would come away with when they close this book up at the end? I'll put it in the words of a guy who's a best-selling author. I can't use his name right now because he hadn't told me I could. He's a best-selling author of multiple books. He took the book. He read it. He called me up. He said, Carl, you know I'm not very emotional. I had no idea where he was going. I said, yes, I know. I've known you for years. You're not emotional. He said, when I shut the last page of your book, I had tears in my eyes. I couldn't speak. He said, I walked outside, and I looked around. I looked up into heaven. I looked around, and I said, God, I finally get it. I get it. I understand it. I see it with my spiritual eyes. Then he said, Carl, it hit me. I've been managing sin. I need to eliminate sin. I need to get as holy as I can. I need to put on the full armor of God because we're in for some tough spiritual times. He said, this book has changed my life. It has changed the way that I read Scripture. It has changed everything. And I said, oh, my gosh, that is the Lord. Thank you for telling me that. Because I'm telling you, brother, as I was writing it, it was changing me as I was researching this. So that's the takeaway. I want it. The Word of God is the Word of God. The Word of God is more important. You don't need my book to understand the Word of God. You don't have to buy anybody's book. The Holy Spirit can lead you. But what this book does, it connects dots that very few people are connecting, and it makes it relevant to our life, to our world, to the headlines of today. And that's what's changing people's lives, and I pray that God will use it that way. Amen. Hallelujah. Pastor, you made reference earlier about how does Ephesians 6 take on new light. I just want to read this real quick from the Scripture. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparations of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. Folks, this imagery of, the, of this armor in, in Ephesians chapter 6 is really two things. It's priestly garments of breastplates, but it's also a warrior's garment of swords and shields. We are to coat ourselves because we are ministers, priests of the gospel, because we are to take this forward, and therefore we are girded with the breastplate. But we also, though, hold the shield because it, it, it protects us, but we go forward with the sword. We are to do battle. It is on our knees, and we need to be coated completely in the armor of God because we're not to stand around while this world is falling apart, Pastor, are we, and just sit there while the devil wreaks havoc on our family, our neighbors, the people we work with, we are to advance this kingdom through prayer coated in the armor of God under the last days. Pastor, Amen. we've got a minute and 50 seconds. Could you close us with a word of prayer? I will. I will. Father, I thank you for this anointed time that Pastor Frank and I have had. We pray that your word is illuminated in people's hearts through, the, through, the, through their spiritual eyes and that you will bring Christians, your believers, closer to you than ever before. We pray that somebody out there tonight would surrender their life to Jesus Christ. We pray Amen. that prodigals would come home to you. Thank Amen. you for what Pastor Frank is doing. Give him an anointing. Bless him. Use him for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Pastor Carl, quickly give everybody the website, how they can get a hold of this book. We've got about a minute and 15 seconds left. Okay, yeah. CarlGallops.com tells you everything about me, my church, my, all of my books, videos, articles I'm in, media I'm in, etc. CarlGallops.com. Or just go to Amazon, put my name in, and put in this title, Gods and Thrones. It'll take you straight to this book. Visit my author page there, and you see all my books. But Gods and Thrones, Carl Gallops at Amazon, and you'll get it like tomorrow if you're on Prime. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, Pastor, thank you for joining us tonight. And folks, everybody out there, take this seriously. Let's get right. Let's get close. Let's get in the Word of God, and let's get serious about the hour we live in. We have a battle to fight. It's on our knees, and this is Frank and Pastor Carl Gallops with the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom.